0: and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday.
1: Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. Mitch and Steve, we're back. Make that back-to-back weeks for Mitch and Steve, by the way. Back-to-back-back, baby. Back-back-back-back, Chris Berman. (laughs) Chris Berman style. However you want to do it. However you want to say it, I should say. We got some interesting breaking news to start the show today. So normally we'll start we'll start with our casual banter or whatever, but then Adam Schefter came across the timeline as he normally does with the news, and we figured, yeah, we should probably talk about this. Steve, what do we got? Adam Schefter reported
2: 17 minutes ago a twist in Las Vegas. Cliff Kingsbury, heard of that guy? He has withdrawn his name from consideration for the offensive coordinator job for the Raiders per his agent, Eric Burkhart. You may mm. remember that name, Eric Burkhart, the agent for Cliff Kingsbury, as well as Kyler Murray during his whole contract negotiation. Yes, of Was course. that a year or two ago? <laughs> um, so this is interesting because we had heard that they were pretty much, it was it, it felt like a done deal that Cliff Kingsbury, former head coach of the Arizona Cardinals, most recently, was he the O.C.? in usc
1: or was he he was an offensive analyst okay basically he was in a a position i don't think he was calling plays but i do think he was a big factor in trying to help out the usc offense which granted usc offense was pretty good the rest of usc yeah yeah. five on the year i think they were finally pretty poor uh but
2: it looked like it was a done deal they've got new head coach antonio pierce that's the other interesting wrinkle to this Mm -hmm. uh because Antonio Pierce, remind me, his official title in at ASU
1: was assistant head coach. He eventually became the assistant head coach. He was the leader of recruiting... Or headed recruiting. Per he was se. a
2: defensive guy. Yeah. I mean, he was basically right-hand man to Herm Edwards. Yeah. when all the stuff happened, he
1: they made a big deal about giving him money to make sure that he would stay instead of taking a better job elsewhere by essentially making him the heir apparent. So Antonio Pierce has quickly ascended the ladder and is
2: now the new head coach in Las Vegas after being interim head coach when the head coach got fired during the season. Mm-hmm. Very rarely does that happen, by the way, that the interim becomes the next head coach. Oh, yeah. But it happened. A lot of people have fallen in love with Antonio Pierce in Las Vegas the way that we did at ASU before we found out all the things he was doing behind the scenes, illegally recruiting players. And now Cliff Kingsbury, think back two years ago, Mitch. Maybe not even two years, probably two years ago. Cliff Kingsbury is the head coach of the Arizona Cardinals in the Valley. Head coach of an NFL team. And Antonio Pierce is right-hand man at ASU. And now here we are two years later, and Antonio Pierce is the head coach Of an NFL team and it looked like Kingsbury was going to be his OC now. He's withdrawing his name So now the next question is why? What happened that over the last 24 hours or so we went from done deal to?
1: Withdrawing his name. It's very very interesting indeed. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any? theories so I mean option one is that he just stays at USC and he hopes to right the ship with Lincoln Riley when they enter the Big Ten next year. Maybe that's option number one. Option number two is maybe he just actually got cold feet about returning to the NFL. Option three is he heard more of the Raiders' plan and realized they weren't going to get the quarterback that he thought he would work best with, which Caleb Williams? I would bet is the one that he just worked with. How are the Raiders going to get him? And option four, is, the one? option four is maybe he just wants to go back to Thailand. Yeah. I'm sure he's gonna be doing plenty of vacationing in the office. I mean, look, it's a realistic option. I'm Um, saying it half-heartedly,
2: but it's a realistic option. I don't know if this fits into one of those options you provided, but what about the opportunity to leverage this interview process into a
1: better gig elsewhere? Does he really want to be a a head coach again? I don't know. I would imagine, but I don't know that. I don't know. I think the being a head coach the last time kind of wiped him out. Started developing permanent bags under his eyes after the four years with the Cardinals. I'm not even suggesting that he's trying to leverage this into a
2: head coaching job in the NFL or college. But what if it's, I mean, as of right now, like you said, he's an offensive analyst. I mean, that feels like a holdover position that you give to a guy who has a track record in the NFL. And you want him to be a part. It's like Marvin Lewis. Uh, Wasn't Marvin Lewis an assistant? Analyst at ASU. He he wasn't allowed to coach, but he was allowed to help during the week. Somebody that you know you want to be a part of your organization, but you don't necessarily have a position for them, so you create one Mm -hmm. just to kind of have them in your building and bring credibility to your organization. That's how I felt about Cliff Kingsbury's spot at USC. Is he now trying to leverage an interview process with the Raiders into convincing other NFL teams or other college programs that, hey, this guy's ready to be an OC again. This guy's ready to maybe even be your head coach again, depending
1: on what program we're talking about. I wonder if he's trying to do that. It was interesting news that came across our Tideline. We fin- we figured we'd start with it. We weren't going to spend a whole segment on it, but it's very interesting. And now I wonder if the Raiders go after another guy that they interviewed out of the college ranks. Chip Kelly was the name tossed yeah. around there as a possible OC to pair up. That could happen in Las Vegas. Well, I guess you could say, if I'm trying to create some sort of segue here, Kingsbury was thought to be trading places, and now he's not. Speaking of trading, let's start there. Bob Myers during halftime of the Nets-Suns game on Wednesday. Does Phoenix need a game manager? Do they have to establish some kind of order here? And how are they going to do it? Who does it? Well, that's the question. Because this team is great, super talented, but but Beal gets four shots. He's got four points. So that's the question. Right? Do they need somebody to orchestrate? Do they need somebody to orchestrate? He's obviously referring to the Phoenix Suns. This, granted, was at halftime of a game that the Suns ended up winning Handily, thanks to an explosive third quarter and a dominant Kevin Durant and Yusuf Nurkic tandem performance. But Bob Myers still presents a question that has been asked a lot, at least at the national level, when it comes to the Suns ahead of the trade deadline. Backup point guard. The news that we can pass along as far as that is concerned, per Gambo's reporting, is that if the Suns are going to make a trade, it's not going to be for a backup point guard of any kind whatsoever. If anything, they're going to be looking for a defensive-minded wing instead. And I wonder if that would actually benefit the Suns a lot more in terms of solving their ball handler game manager problem as Bob Myers presented. Yeah,
2: um, this is how I've always looked at it because they have five players that average over 30 minutes a game right now. The Suns do. Mm-hmm. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, Bradley Beal. Those are obvious. The next two are Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon. Grayson Allen's really kind of like a two slash three, probably. I mean, Eric Gordon is a them. two. Yeah. Um. So of those five guys averaging 30 minutes a game, three of them are guards. And the other one is Grayson Allen. You see what I mean? So mm-hmm. if you're bringing in a point guard, this is this is where the equation doesn't really add up for me. If you're bringing in a point guard, let's just say it's Tyus Jones. That's the name that gets thrown around the most. He's established himself as a starting point guard, good defensive and offensive player, good at playmaking. He does pretty much everything well. Uh, How many minutes is that guy getting if you're bringing him in? Unless you're trading away Eric Gordon or Grayson Allen in that deal, there's not a lot of minutes to distribute there. Um, So... I don't know if a point guard is necessarily what they need. I'm still one of the people, and there's many of us out there, who believe that the big three is still figuring out how this thing works. Mm-hmm. Bradley Beal, I mean, as displayed last night, I think he had 10 assists last night. He's distributing um, well. He's he's a pretty good distributor, even on a night where he's 0 for 7 from deep. I and mean, got hit in the face again. Right. Yeah, that too. He's got to stop doing that. <laughs> um, I think Devin Booker is well-equipped to be one of the better distributors. I want the ball in their hands. The more you put the ball in a point guard, field general, whatever we're calling them, game manager, the more you put the ball in that guy's hands, the less it's in Kevin Durant's, in Devin Booker's, and in Bradley Beal's, and that's not necessarily something I want. I understand the concept of getting a true point guard means that you're going to find more open looks for these other guys, but that's not really how this offense works. And like I said, as of right now, four of their top five minutes guys are considered guards.
1: I don't know where the minutes come from. I mean, I think that the biggest frustration in terms of the where's their point guard, who's their game manager, who's their distributor, etc. it I feel like it best stems from just watching them play in the fourth quarter. Where Kevin Zimmerman had the stats recently, I don't have it off the top of my head, but if you compare it to the other three quarters, it was like first quarter was a single digit, second quarter, double digit, third quarter, high double digit in terms of plus-minus points scored versus your opponent. Fourth quarter was a double-digit negative. Sure. Which is to point out basically what we've seen all season is this team, for whatever reason, cannot close out other teams. And it has cost them games many a time this season. Last night, a fair case example, going into the final five minutes, they were down 10. But that's also an Atlanta team that was seven games under five hundred last night. And you let them basically have their way. And they made, every, they made the most of every opportunity they had offensively last night. So the argument for finding a game manager, I'm kind of with you. I think they should be able to find that on this team. And maybe what's missing is another guy who's bigger and longer to help force That reality for the Suns
2: Well, and let's face it The other name that arises the most has been Miles Bridges We've talked about it extensively over the last few weeks Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I don't love the baggage that he comes with I I suppose you can balance that argument with He's only a one-year rental Meaning, really, you just need him to be on your team for four months And, you know, keep his nose clean for four months And Mm -hmm. you're good Um, so there's an argument to be made there, but we know one thing about the Suns is they don't have a lot of tradable assets that a lot of teams are going to be coveting. So if you're trading for miles bridges, that precludes you from probably doing anything else of significance, including finding a point guard. It just seems like everybody thinks they need a point guard when I don't know that that's the real problem. I will point out another problem that people aren't really talking about though from the point guard perspective, because when everyone says they need a point guard, it's like that clip you played. We need a game manager. We need somebody to distribute. We need somebody to run the offense. How about the other side of the ball? The Phoenix Suns are the fifth worst team in the NBA when it comes to giving up points to point guards. They do not defend Hmm. the point guard very well. Look at last night's game. Trey Young just blitzed them. There's not a lot of ways to defend a 35-foot jump shot. That Trey Young basically just pulls up from half court and knocks him down. DeJounte Murray exploded in the fourth quarter. Fair enough. And he was miserable the first three. They're not great at defending the perimeter right now. They get dominated by point guards. It's happened over the last couple of weeks. They face some, and there's tons of really good point guards in the NBA right now. Mm -hmm. It's maybe the best point guard group the NBA has ever seen league wide. And so if you want to get better in that category, the only teams worse than them. At defending the point guard are Detroit and San Antonio, two of the worst teams in the league. Mm -hmm. Milwaukee, because Damian Lillard is one of the most one-dimensional players the league has ever seen. And Indianapolis, Indiana, sorry. Those are the four worst, and the Suns are fifth. So if you want to talk about needing a point guard, I think the argument should start at they need better defense on the perimeter, but when you distribute those minutes equally amongst Bradley Beal and Devin Booker, and those are your guards for 90% of the game... You're sacrificing in that area.
1: Coming up next, if you ever needed a ringing endorsement as to why the Cardinals should take Marvin Harrison Jr., we got it. Next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday.
2: Listen, up, you know I love Marvin Harrison Jr. Everybody's talking about this kid. Is he going to go number four in the draft, the Arizona Cardinals? Boy, we wish. Don't take my endorsement of Marvin Harrison Jr. Don't, don't, just, don't just listen to what I have to say about the guy. Because I'm a Buckeye fan. I've watched a lot of their games, obviously. I love the kid. But it's when Larry Fitzgerald says stuff like this about Marvin Harrison Jr. That's when you should really listen.
0: He's a stud, and and if, he, and if he's there, I uh, hope we get him. Kyler, Kyler would love to throw it to him. I'm a big fan of his father's, and you know from everything I've heard, you know he's just a really good, hardworking young man. So like you can never have enough high character, outstanding, talented football players. You know because those are guys are the pillars of, of your of your foundation. Oof,
1: sorry to top that. Also, shout out to uh, Channel 12's Cam Cox for the cool little sit-down that he got to do with Fitz, providing the audio. Man, don't you just want Marvin Harrison Jr. in the Cardinal Red now? You know the one part of that that stood out to me the most?
2: And it was just a little nugget there kind of in the middle. Mm -hmm. He said, Kyler Murray would love to throw to him. Do you think that's Mm. an assumption? Or do you think Larry Fitzgerald has had a conversation with Kyler Murray about, hey, wouldn't it be cool to play with Marvin Harrison Jr.? I think at the same time. I'd
1: bet you they've had a conversation about it. Wouldn't you think that Kyler would either way, even without asking him, you would just know that he would want to play. Oh, yeah. MHJ. You should want to play with the best players, right? Like yeah. that's that's just a given.
2: But I like to think that they had a secret conversation where Fitz texted Kyler and said, hey, how cool would it be if you had your own young version of me?
1: If you had a the next coming of Calvin Johnson, you know what I mean? Well, it's funny you say the next version of me. Because Cam followed up asking Fitz
0: on MHJ getting compared to... Himself, he's a heck of a lot more talented than I, <laughs> than I was at that age. You know, he can he can take short passes and go long. He yeah. can go over the top. Um, he's a willing participant, like in terms of blocking in the run game. Like you used to do that too. No, but I wasn't I wasn't a willing participant until <laughs> like 2013. Like you later in my career, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I did it begrudgingly, uh, <laughs> but now he does it already. You know, in college and he does it does it really well. So, I mean, if he's there, I, I definitely would love to see him in Cardinal Red. <laughs>
2: would I wasn't say this. Doing it until 2013. Yeah, <laughs> he did it because it was a career
1: adjustment. The wheels fell off a little bit. You have to do something to keep yourself. Yeah. in the game, he and, had to contribute when field. he didn't
2: have the ball. He also didn't have very good quarterbacks for a lot of his career. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Marvin Harrison Jr. is much faster than Larry Fitzgerald. Faster than his dad, too. By the way, mm-hmm. and his dad would tell you that. So this is a kid who's got a, a lot of the same physical characteristics as Larry Fitzgerald, but Fitz is right; he's he's more dynamic than Fitz was in college. Well,
1: f- also think about what, the ways that receivers are brought up nowadays, or just think about the advancements in—I say technology, but I what I mean by that is like the way these players train, the way they lift weights. He's a physical way, specimen. The way they prepare each and every single day at the level that they're at to try and get to this stage, right? Marvin Harrison Jr., you could probably argue, is like five years ahead of where Fitz was the year that he was drafted out of college, right? Uh, Just yeah. Just given the advancements in how these players prepare each and every day, you could argue that Marvin Harrison Jr. is far ahead of the curve. Oh, and oh yeah, by the way, it helps that his dad is a Hall of Fame wide receiver.
2: Yeah, and you know, I, I think it says something, too, that Marvin Harrison Jr. has played with some really good quarterbacks, um, would mm-hmm. he have just in Justin Fields crossed over for a year? I feel like me being the Buckeye fan, I should remember. But, I can't remember, but
1: obviously he, but obviously the Stroud, CJ Stroud years. And then are what I'm talking about season with, um, who's the quarterback. Uh, right. It doesn't matter. He left. I'm uh, <laughs> Yeah, court. So, yeah. He ain't no good. So Steve, I
2: actually didn't know you're a Buckeye fan. I'm also I a am. Buckeye fan. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Cam uh, yeah, I don't. Want- yeah, yeah, we don't even talk about McCord. <laughs> that wasn't the guy I was referencing. I was referencing C.J. Stroud. I don't know if Justin Fields was there for like one year while Harrison was on the bench. Because remember, this is like where all the good receivers come from—is LSU and Ohio State. Well, so, I mean,
1: think about Ohio State in the last like four years: Garrett, Chris
2: Olave, Garrett, Garrett Wilson, 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 and now M.H.J. Yeah, uh, that guy on the Lions went to Ohio State. Uh, what's his name? The guy who got suspended for uh, Williams, uh, Jameson Williams, Jameson Williams. Oh, yeah. yeah. He transferred from Ohio State to Alabama. Oh well, that doesn't count. Joe Burrow went to Ohio State. That counts.
1: No. Yeah, it absolutely B- does count. It, it absolutely, absolutely counts. counts. Joe Burrow was not Joe Burrow until he went to LSU. Joe Burrow was always Joe Burrow. He just didn't play. <laughs> <laughs> Come you're, on. Being, you're being semantical, and I'm being the guy that says they weren't known for who they were no, until they got to that's fair point A.
2: Williams actually played at Ohio State. I don't know if that helps All right, all right. What's your point? Uh, I just think that Marvin Harrison Jr. has a skill set that is even better than Fitz coming out of college. And that's saying something. Fitz went, what, third overall in the draft? Third overall. So, I mean, you're talking about a guy who might be physically better, uh, professionally played with some guys that are in the league and having a lot of success, like Stroud right now is the best quarterback from this past draft class. Um, I think he's got an absolute stud
1: of a resume. And if Fitz is seeing it, that's the only endorsement I really need. It kind of lines up similarly too. Like they won't be drafted in the exact same slot obviously, unless no, not likely. Unless the Patriots decide to take at 3 They could, but I mean in the terms of the Cardinals were so bad that 2002-2003 season I think it was that it was a shock when they beat the Vikings on the last second touchdown. And they fell into the number three pick, but they also just happened to luck into the greatest player to ever put on a Cardinals uniform. This time around, you could kind of look at it the same way where they won just enough games to stay out of the top top. So they won't get like the game changer quarterback. But I think we agree. They don't need that anymore because they have it, but they also lost on the final game of the season while playing as competitive as possible. And still landed in a very prime position, whether they do end up staying and taking the guy they want, hopefully MHJ, or trading out and giving it to a team that is desperate to get a quarterback, perhaps. You know, if I'm being honest, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is probably the best player in the draft. I don't think you're going to get a ton of disagreement.
2: Like, I know that Caleb Williams is going to get most talked about. He's a Heisman winner. He's got some great seasons. There's no doubt about that. I, I think he does a lot of things on the field that really make you go, whoa. And at the quarterback position, that's important. Um, Drake May is going to get talked about a ton. Uh, Jaden Daniels, former
1: ASU quarterback, uh, he might be be in the top two or three he's, picks. He's kind of getting the Robert Griffin the third bump. Kind of. When RG3 yeah. won the Heisman at Baylor. That's not a bad comparison. Overall.
2: I think RG3 was a little bit more polished as a passer, though. I mean, sure. there was a point where RG3 had more touchdown passes than incompletions at Baylor. Do you guys remember that in his last season? <laughs> like, he had, like, eight touchdowns and eight incompletions in the first two games. At the same time, um,
1: Daniels has,
2: like, has over
1: combined 50 touchdowns. Yeah, last he's nuts.
2: Season. He's nuts. So you might see those guys go out of positional uh, desire, I guess you would call it. Yeah. But I think Harrison might be the best player in the draft. And that's kind of like what we talked about last year with, like, Will Anderson. Like, maybe Will Anderson is the best player in the draft, but there was no way he was going to go one. I mean, he might win defensive rookie of the year right now. That's what I'm saying. The, the, that's you the, can get the best player in the draft at four. That's all I'm saying. I don't know that it's going to happen, but you can do it. And some of that is based on how you feel about the player. Obviously, everybody's draft boards are different, but the Arizona Cardinals might come away with the best player in the entire draft at number four. It's possible.
1: You mean J.J. McCarthy? <laughs> Probably not J.J. McCarthy. If you don't know what we're referring to, Jim Harbaugh, who's now the head coach of the uh, Chargers, was on, I think he was on Pat McAfee's show. He did the rounds. He this was making week. rounds. Yeah. Um, Where I saw this particular sound posted was through Colin Calhurt. So we'll give credit to to the herd. Jim Harbaugh standing up for his guy from Michigan.
0: Arm talent, athleticism, it factor, uh, winning with numbing repetition. Uh, Don't be surprised when he if when he goes to uh, he's the number one quarterback off the board. That's number one quarterback off
1: the board. J.J. McCarthy. (laughs) So uh, that would make him the number one pick, right?
2: Because knowing what we know about the NFL draft, top quarterback goes number one. And if it's I mean, a that's good, cor- just the way it is. And if it's a good quarterback class, yeah. they go early. Uh, Chicago could play some games here. Uh, if they really wanted to, they could keep Justin Fields and I, draft Marvin Harrison or I'm, something
1: else. I'm starting to fall into the camp that I think they're going to take I, the guy of the future. I think they are taking a
2: quarterback but, as well. But I don't think it'll be J.J. McCarthy. But he should be in the conversation. As much as I hate the guy because I'm, I'm a Buckeye fan and he's obviously a Wolverine. I mean, the guy was as efficient as most quarterbacks in college. He is versatile and can get out and move and get out of the pocket when he needs to. His throws are pretty remarkable. I think he can make pretty much any throw in the book. I don't know why he's not in the conversation with guys like Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Jaden Daniels. I think he might actually be more of a
1: pro-style quarterback than two or three of those guys. He should at least be in the conversation. Well, my argument to that is, why wasn't Stetson Bennett a higher quarterback drafted last year? Size, he was smaller. Uh, McCarthy's not that. That's much my bigger. reason. That's my reason.
2: Uh, he is—he's bigger. I don't know their exact heights, but I'm guessing JJ McCarthy is significantly bigger than Stetson Bennett.
1: Well, coming up next, let's talk about quarterbacks that maybe haven't been getting enough love as they should have been. Brock Purdy, one trying to take all the credit, and another former quarterback trying to take him down at the ankles. What? We'll talk about it next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: Mitch Varelvis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Yeah,
1: Arizona, Arizona Sports, the hey, local sports, sports guitar, leader. Heart, Happy to be spending time with you, you on this Saturday. You, know, you got an hour more of us, and then at 12 30. Tim Healy and Kyle Dodd are going to take over, get you ready for ASU Cal, a desert financial arena. ASU in desperate need of a win. They desperately need one. They've only won one out of their last four, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. So getting back in the win column is going to be paramount for this ASU basketball team if they want to keep any sort of tournament hopes alive. Um, We got some development on the Cliff Kingsbury front, which we'll start from point A. Point A was it was reported last week he was going to take the Raiders OC job under Antonio Pierce. Now, today, his agent, Eric Burkhardt, is telling Adam Schefter of ESPN that Kingsbury is withdrawing his name from the OC job. Okay, hmm. interesting. What does it mean? Does he mean he wants to stay at USC? Does he want to just go to Thailand? Maybe not. I'll, I'll go to you first because you started trying to connect some dots here and you had noticed something that Colin Cowherd had said.
2: Uh, Yeah, Colin Cowherd had retweeted Adam Schefter's report and just said, heading east, very east, hashtag commanders. Now, that would obviously be Colin Cowherd's way of saying, you know, I've got sources that are telling me he's going to be the OC for the commanders. I'm
1: assuming OC, because it's open currently, I mean, Dan Quinn's the head
2: coach. That we had
1: not discussed because a week ago that was not the case. So
2: then where's the connection? Because usually, I mean, football is like this, right? Uh, You worked with a guy somewhere else. They want to bring you in, that kind of thing. Yep. Uh, much like you saw in Carolina, they got a new GM. He had worked with Dave Canales, and all of a sudden, boom, he's the head coach. So where's the connection between Dan Quinn and Cliff Kingsbury? Mm -hmm. I haven't found one, not a working relationship at least. Uh, Dan Quinn was a defensive line coach in New York for the Jets from 07 to 08. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cliff was a quarterback with the Jets, but a couple years prior to that, so there's really no connection professionally. But it's the new GM, Adam Peters, is where the connection is that I found. Uh, He is the general manager of the Commanders now. And Cliff Kingsbury was a quarterback to start his career in the NFL in 2003 with the New England Patriots. Adam Peters at that time was a scout with the Patriots from 2003 to 2008. Now, is that a strong connection? Just regular scout and backup
1: quarterback? Not necessarily. Well, who's responsible for finding the players for the teams to draft? The scouts. And who do you think had a keen eye on a young buck coming out of Texas Tech? Yeah, maybe. To add to that, Jonathan Jones with CBS, who's like the equivalent of Jay Glazer on Fox, let's say. Cliff Kingsbury had been discussed as a potential Commander's OC target before this latest dot, 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 whatever with the Raiders. Mm. With Washington open with Dan Quinn, something to keep an eye on. So maybe Kingsbury had his hand in both cookie jars, so to speak.
2: And, and as was, it looked like it was getting close with the Raiders, maybe something fell through. He was they fighting, told him something he didn't like. Fighting or, with Mark Davis over who would get the bigger lollipop or something. Oh, gosh. Uh, Stupid, I know. I don't I don't know what happened here. I don't know if he was trying to leverage one opportunity for more money elsewhere. I mean, that's a possibility, I guess. Um, but it, I would not be shocked if by the end of the day even— We find out that Cliff Kingsbury is getting another gig, sounds like, with the Commanders.
1: Developing story that we're keeping an eye on. Obviously, we're just curious as to what the former Cardinals head coach will do this upcoming season. If it was a return to the NFL, well, he was close, and maybe it'll still be the case. He certainly has an odd path, doesn't he? I mean, like, I know he
2: went the college to pro route, which is normal, but Mm -hmm. he was a losing coach at Texas Tech. I just mean in, in total. Yeah. Losing record at Texas Tech, instantly becomes head coach of the Arizona Cardinals. Actually became the coordinator, offensive coordinator at USC for two weeks, Mm -hmm. uh, but then immediately jumps to the NFL. Who would blame him? Mm -hmm. Is a losing coach in the NFL with the Cardinals, the organization tanks, and then he goes and becomes an offensive assistant with the number, the eventual maybe number one pick, Caleb Williams, and they go eight and five.
1: It's not the most impressive record. No, I don't know. To why, be honest with you. I don't know why there's such fascination with him just based off paper. I don't know. But here we are. Uh, speaking of obsessive fascination over somebody, a uh, little bit of a longer cut, but there's a lot in here that I'm angry about.
0: I've never said that Brock Parody was trash. What I did say is Brock Parody is a game manager. That's not hate, that's just what I feel to be facts. But I still reserve the right to say this, to be labeled a game changer, Brock Purdy has to be the best player on the offensive side of the ball. Mm. And that's not the case. And who's the best player? Christian McCaffrey. (laughs) Man, look, I ain't recanting. And if you really want to just be honest, if you add in the defensive talent and you add in the offensive talent, Brock Purdy is the 10th best player on this team. Okay, cool. Did he have a great game? Yes. yes. Is he been playing out of his mind? Yes. Is he a quarterback that's hot? Yes. yes. But he's still the 10th best player on his team.
1: And he's in the Super Bowl and you're not, Cam Newton. So what's your <laughs> point? He's in the league and you're not.
2: Um, so there's a couple ways to look at this. Uh, I know the game manager or field general monikers get linked up with quarterbacks who maybe
1: aren't dynamic with their legs, or maybe they don't have a rocket for an arm or whatever, right? Okay, you say those exact two traits? Yeah. And I think of how Brock Purdy did in the second half last week against the Lions. Fair enough. Rocket arm. Do you see that pass to Brandon Ayuk that, I mean, granted, there was was great. There was PI, it was bounced off the defender, whatever. It's a weird play. You still have to throw it that far, first and foremost. Second of all, he rushed for over 50 yards. (laughs) And they weren't like little like, oh, I got to escape out of the pocket rushes. He got chunks of yardage on the ground. And he was moving with a sort of slitheriness that I've not seen out of Brock Purdy in his short
0: career.
2: Yeah, I mean, just call him what you want. If you want to call him a game manager, fine. He's got to manage a lot of stuff, right? He does have a dynamic backfield. And it goes further than just Christian McCaffrey. I think Elijah Mitchell's good. They've got some other good backers behind is a big Kyle part Juszczyk, of their backfield. Uh, he's got one of the better tight ends in the league and George Kittle. He's got two really great wideouts. Uh, yeah, you want to call him a game manager? Sure. That's the nature of the position. But here's the facts. 4,200 yards passing mm-hmm. this season. Over 4,000 passing yards for Brock Purdy, which puts him fifth in the league. You know who is sixth? Patrick Mahomes. Hmm. You know who's also behind him? The NFL Rookie of the Year, C.J. Stroud. Mm. You know who else is behind him? Lamar Jackson, who's probably going to win the MVP. You know who else is behind him? Jalen Hurts, who went to the Super Bowl. So what are we talking
1: about? Game manager. And people like to... doesn't mean he's incapable of doing certain things. People like to try and dissect the stats that Brock Purdy has put together and emphasize that, oh, it's because of the receivers and the yards after the catch. Yes. He's got good players around him. He's also averaging close to 10 yards per throw. Yeah, So I'll take it. I don't want to hear any of this garbage that he's managing a game. Because when I think of game manager, I think of somebody that can't move around in the pocket and can't throw the ball down the field. They're able to get the ball to their playmakers and the playmakers do the rest. That is not Brock Purdy. And whether you agree or disagree, you're wrong if you disagree because he's doing all the things that a game manager cannot do. To your point, throw the ball downfield and use his legs when he has to. And just to be honest,
2: I think when people get labeled game manager, it means they're immobile. It means they can't run. They can't get out of the pocket. They Look can't Tom avoid Brady pressure. Was Tom a game
1: manager? He couldn't absolutely. Run for, he couldn't run for
2: spit. I, I think I think game manager is a compliment. So on the one hand, I'm kind of defending Cam Newton. Like <laughs> it's no, I'm serious. The, like game manager is a compliment. That's a hard thing to do. Yeah. Because to be honest with you, Brock Purdy is asked to be a game manager. He's asked to take all these pieces that were much more established than he was at the time that he was asked to take over the quarterback position and to kind of orchestrate this flowing offense out of it. Now, a lot of people would say, well, that's easy. He's got the number one running back and, you know, the number five receiver and all these great—I get it. He's got good pieces around him. He's not the first
1: quarterback to ever have a really good team around him that can also be considered a really good quarterback. You know who also had really good pieces around him? Jimmy Garoppolo did. Had Debo Samuel, had Brandon Ayuk, had George Kittle. Granted, he didn't have Christian McCaffrey, but the Shanahan offense has always seemed to find success on the ground. Raheem Mostert has looked pretty good this year, didn't he, He for the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, he was good before he left the 49 Jeff Wilson Jr. Also good. Torched the Cardinals on the ground when he played for the Niners. So don't tell me that it's because of everybody around Brock Purdy as to why the Niners are succeeding. If it wasn't for Brock Purdy getting hurt in the NFC Championship game last year, we might be talking about a Super Bowl rematch this year. Yeah. Brock Purdy might be a Super Bowl winner.
2: He could be one next week. Yeah. It's crazy to think about. I mean, I, I know there's the whole last pick in the draft, Mr. Irrelevant. That's that's a narrative that's going to be out there, no doubt about it. But, mm-hmm. uh, but either Brock Purdy is getting his first ring or Patrick Mahomes is, is bringing home another one and building a legacy of his own. Now, that legacy
1: is already pretty solidified, but... Oh, he's... He's a first ballot Hall of Famer right now.
2: Yeah, but when it comes to these comments from Cam Newton, I think two things can exist at the same time. Number one, it's not a diss to call somebody a game manager. Okay. It's it's a diss if you're only labeling them that way because in context you're saying that they're incapable of doing things. I don't think Cam meant that. Um, but I think being a game manager should be a compliment. And the second thing to exist is Brock Purdy can do pretty much anything any other quarterback can do. He's not the most mobile, but did you see that play where he ducked out of a sack last week?
1: I mean, like, he's kind of elusive. Everybody is saying if Patrick Mahomes did this, the world would go nuts. Well, yeah, they probably would. And then there's the people that are trying to bank off of Brock Purdy's recent success. You probably will recognize this
0: voice. I laugh at people when they say he's a game manager. I recruited the kid when he came out of high school. <laughs> so, <laughs> I saw what kind of quarterback he was. he came to us, he went to Iowa. And I ended up getting a pretty good guy in Jaden Daniels, so it all worked out. But at the end of the day, um, I think he's proven to everybody that he's more than just a game manager. He is actually a really good quarterback. While
1: well, that latter part of the soundbite from Herb Edwards a few days ago was true... That he is a really good quarterback and more than just a game manager. First of all, he went to Iowa State. Not Iowa. Now, even if you were generalizing it as just the state of Iowa is where he went to school, nobody's going to interpret it that way because there are two different major universities in the state of Iowa. Right. You should know that, too, because you were the head coach at ASU, And second which of, often gets confused with and Arizona. Second of all, no, you did not recruit him, Herm Edwards. Uh, and there's, facts, I think he did way too late. There's facts out there that have shown that they did not try nearly as hard as he is interpreting there.
2: Uh, yeah, no, that's that's totally true. So from what we know, they did not seek Brock Purdy
1: with intent early well, on in the process. So Donnie Yantis, who previously served on Herm's staff in the mm-hmm. recruiting department, came out on Twitter and said this week that they only gave him a preferred walk-on. Right. So not even a true scholarship. Not a real offer of any kind. Like, don't don't go on the national radio and lie to these people. By the way, that's the Gatorade Player of the Year 2017 in the state of Arizona, Brock Purdy.
2: Had a recognition Best to- player in the state, and they offered him a walk-on. Recognition on the
1: from the Cardinals as well. I can't remember yeah. what the specific award was. But it's like Brock Purdy is going to these teams and telling them how great of a person he is. Uh-huh. And instead ends up at Iowa State. Uh-huh. Has a really solid career. He was the the third-string
2: guy in Iowa State, by the way.
1: He put up the same numbers that he's
2: putting up now. his, His story at Iowa State is actually very comparable to what happened with the 49ers, where you are not expected to be the starting quarterback day one, or maybe ever. And then he forced his way onto the field and then impressed. I mean, it's disingenuous to say the least that Herm Edwards is trying to rewrite history a bit here. And I get it. You want to look good that you knew something before everyone else did,
1: but that's not the truth. It's just not what happened. And again, if you're going to lie, at least say Iowa State. That's all I ask. Coming up next, it's NHL All-Star Weekend, which means it's a chance for the commissioner to let everybody know where the Coyotes are going to play next year, right? I'd love to know. Well, we'll at least share with you what the commissioner said next on Arizona Sports Saturday.
0: Hello. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports. People sports
2: Let's make a deal.
0: There's nothing new. Uh, Alex Morello is focused on one piece of property, and we're focused with him on what that timeline is. And my guess is that's something that'll be addressed in the next few weeks in terms of the timeline.
1: That's NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman. Speaking yesterday during um, his availability at NHL All-Star Weekend. The festivities going on right now. Shout out Clayton Keller representing the Yotes in Toronto. But, of course, the conversation when it comes to the Coyotes around this time of year, seemingly every year, um, at least recently. At least since they've been in Mullet Arena, has been, what's next for Arizona? Where are they going to be? Are they breaking ground? Are they doing anything to get out of the 5,000-seater that is Mullet Arena? Which... Separate conversation of fantastic arena for what it's designed to be for the Coyotes. It is very much a temporary solution. And yet here we are beginning of February. And the closest we are in terms of finding out where and what is next for Arizona is that they are working On getting land somewhere near Desert Ridge, I think has been the continued report.
2: Yeah, kind of the Northeast Valley, North Phoenix, kind of creeping over towards Scottsdale. Mm -hmm. Um, It was reported by the Arizona Republic that the Coyotes are moving forward with attempting to buy some land in the Northeast uh, Phoenix area. Um, so they, the team even confirmed as much, but they're also being very forthright and saying that we're still looking at multiple sites. I mean, it's not like because we're looking at one option, that doesn't mean we we can't look at the others. So I think it is still very much up in the air. I I think Gary Bettman saying out loud that this will be addressed in the next few weeks is telling because I do think that he's pressuring them a little bit to, hey, we gotta we gotta do something. Uh, You guys can't just play this, oh, we'll see, game forever. And I know that the thing in Tempe uh, didn't go their way, um, and I think that surprised them quite a bit and set them back, honestly, a year or two in this whole process. But Mm -hmm. to your point, Mullet Arena is not a long-term gig um, I like going to games there. There's not a bad seat in the house. But I also wonder if, by some chance, the Coyotes ended up going to the Stanley Cup Finals by some miracle. Like, let's say they have a a playoff run the way the Diamondbacks did this past October, and you somehow find yourself in the finals. Mm-hmm. How is the NFL or the NHL going to feel about that?
1: No way they let them host it in a 5,000 Are they, seat arena.
2: Right? right? Can you host an NHL Finals in a in a stadium like that? Would it even be hosted in this state? Did you make them play their home games in Vegas or some other locale that's kind of ish nearby?
1: Now I I I don't know. I want to say this too because yes, the reporting coming out last night about the Coyotes targeting the purchase of land. Right. I don't know how new that is though. In comparison to what we were hearing in December, it seems like they're still focused on the same plot. That Craig Morgan, who does a fantastic job covering the Coyotes with PHNX and worked for us for a period of time, worked with the Athletic. He's Zeroed in knows everything there is to know about the coyotes Frank does an absolutely great job He seemingly have pinpointed the exact spot that the coyotes were looking at several months ago. Sure the problem is as Cam Cox with Channel 12 pointed out last night that land needs to go up for auction, right? So while you're not fighting a public vote in order to go forward with your plan you're now going against people that may want to buy that exact plot of land. Now, I don't know who's more spending, than you do. <laughs> I don't know who's spending millions of dollars on know. like 2000 plus acres, but you still have some hurdles to get over. Like they're far from done. Well, they land. barely even started. And we know land in the valley is hard to come
2: by, at yes. least within the valley. I know, obviously, on the outskirts. And and this would be kind of, you know, the northern ish side of where they probably want to go. They don't want to venture too far north because well,
1: then you're evading some of your your South and West Valley people. And that's where I find some irony in this because they find a perfect spot of land, right? It's got perfect zoning needs, requirements for what they want to build. It's on the eastern side of the state. Of the valley. Of the valley, sorry. It's on the eastern side of the valley. Technically, yeah. But literally, it's as far north as Glendale was. Farther. So if anything...
2: If we're talking Desert Ridge area,
1: you're not getting so, so much closer to the fan base that actually wants to see you. Forty one games out of the year.
2: Well, I don't know that to be true. I think building in this particular area. Let's say that they end up doing it. It's kind of North Phoenix I, slash Scottsdale I'll area. Give them this
1: it's closer to where their offices
2: are, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and I don't know if that's even an issue. I think for me, it's about they're trying to find the people that want to come watch hockey, sure, and the people with disposable income to do so. Not to say that what they had in the West Valley wasn't working for them. I think it probably was on some level,
1: but could it work better in the East Valley than it did in the West Valley? Um, because but it's, it's got to be the Southeast side. Like Northeast is one thing, but where they are right now, if they're trying to capture that East Valley market, which, as you and I both know, is much larger than the West Valley market as of sure, right now, they're still far enough away that it becomes a chore to convince people to come to like a weeknight home game. I think you're right? just
2: looking at a lot of other entertainment venues as well. Um, we know there's spring training ballparks. We know there's casinos in Scottsdale area. I think the going into the Northeast Valley, this is just me generalizing what I know about the Valley. You're looking at more disposable income in the Northeast Valley than you are in the Southeast Valley. That's just my guess. I mean, you could go like the Gilbert Chandler area. That's a great area as well, um, but it's not as centralized and definitely not as close to the freeway system as you want to be. Maybe uh-huh. that the Desert Ridge area might. Um, So I I understand why they're trying to go in this general area if this ends up being the final option that they choose.
1: There's a bit of a pressure that's starting to come into this as well. Uh, A couple of weeks ago or a week and a half ago, I believe, the portion of the ownership group of the Jazz have made it clear to the NHL that they would like an expansion team in Salt Lake City. Hmm. And so I wonder... Not saying that I want this to happen. I want the Coyotes here in Arizona. Oh, me too. If something were to fall apart yet again, would it become a scenario where Alex Morello is forced to sell? And here you have this interested ownership group in Salt Lake who already has a team, already has an arena, and already has a pretty good populace in Salt Lake City where they could bring in said NHL franchise. Gary Bettman was asked about that as well.
0: Alex Morello as recently as last week told me he was certain he was going to get this done and I don't make it a practice of contradicting owners unless I have hard facts to the contrary Uh, and uh, I'm both hopeful that uh, and, and reasonably reasonably Confident that he's going to do what he says.
1: That part at the end worries me quite a bit. Reasonably, two, three, reasonably confident. <laughs> he did have a pause. That he's going to get it done. I now, think maybe Gary he's Bettman, just looking for a different word, but still, pauses
2: worry me a lot. I think Gary Bettman's just tired of answering questions about the Coyotes and their their home. Well, he's like the only. It's been like eight years. I feel like we've been having these conversations. Well,
1: if they if you had as messy as an ownership. Cycle as it was with the Coyotes at the same time. He's desperate to keep this market He's like the only person in the entire league office that actually wants hockey to be played here sure and we very much appreciate him for that Even though we boo him a ton (laughs) The point being is that he seems to be the only one in his entire league office that wants to keep the team here And he has that power because he's the commissioner, you know on top of this I've seen the
2: Arizona Coyotes Twitter account or X whatever uh, tweeting out some stuff since these quotes came out uh, mm-hmm. from Gary Batman. You know, it's simple stuff like comment hashtag desert dogs if you want us to stay in Arizona. It's it's gimmicky, like drum up interest kind of stuff. Um, but the one that, that gets me is can't imagine a better home than Arizona at Suns at D-backs. We'd love nothing more than to be your neighbor and then a bunch of hearts. Um, First of all, if you're gonna build in the Desert Ridge area, you're not even remotely a neighbor. No. Um, I get that you'd be in the same state, but, you know, so is Flagstaff.
1: Uh, So, um, And where's the love for the NAZ Wranglers? Come on.
2: So, I don't know. I mean, I get what they're trying to do here. They're trying to remind everybody in the Valley that they don't want to go anywhere. I've never thought the Coyotes, in any ownership in the last decade, I never thought they wanted to leave Arizona. That's never what I assumed they wanted. It's just that when they put it up to a public vote in Tempe and Tempe said, yeah, no, thanks. We're good. I I think that was really disheartening. I don't think they ever thought they would lose a public vote. From their perspective, they were like, well, everything about this is good. You get a hockey team in your town. We're going to bring jobs. We're going to clean up a landfill and all this stuff. And Tempe went, yeah, no, we're good. We like our landfill. We're okay. I literally had a woman on our show on KTR. Is like, oh, we like our mulch. We're good. And I was like, really? Okay. <laughs> she was like, we have a mulch plant there, and we, we like our mulch. Oh, my gosh. I mean, uh, the Coyotes are doing damage control in a lot of ways, and that's why I feel really confident about their next step with their arena, whatever it looks like, is because they there's no way that they can allow it to go back to a public vote no. because they can't let that happen again because if the Valley tells them no one more time, they might finally take the hint and leave. And I don't think that that Tempe vote is – Representative of how the Valley in total feels about the Coyotes. I think people want them here. It's just we got to find a viable solution
1: for the long term. Coming up next, let's talk about some NBA stuff. There's a lot of headlines going around. Would LeBron James really get traded out of L.A.? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.